Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. 20 years after it first set foot in Afghanistan by its special forces linking up with the local Northern Alliance, the United States is withdrawing from this war-torn landlocked Asian nation, leaving it at the mercy of the Mujahideen or Islamist Taliban, which swept its way back into power. Regardless of the wisdom or even inevitability of the decision to cut and leave the images of desperate Afghanis clinging to U.S. Air Force C-17 transport aircraft taking off at Kabul airport have sent a clear message of an American withdrawal. What repercussions are now expected regionally and globally? To analyze this topic, we're joined from Dubai and the United Arab Emirates by Colonel uh, Richard Kemp, who is the former commander of the British forces in Afghanistan and head of international counterterrorism intelligence team at the British Cabinet Office. Thank you for joining us, sir. My pleasure. Good to be with you again. Indeed. Also joining us from the United States is Mr. Ronald Sonday, who is a former Dutch military intelligence senior analyst and CEO at Blue Water Intelligence. Thank you for joining us as well, sir. Pleasure to be here, and it's uh, it's an honor. Thank you for uh, joining us indeed. And also with us here in the studio is our TV7 analyst <coughs> and host of Watchmen Talk, Mr. Amir Ogan. Amir, give us a broader understanding on the latest pertaining uh, to the U.S. disengagement and what does it actually mean and how it is perceived in the region. Let's start uh, with perception. And uh, having been at uh, Fort Bragg, North Carolina, 36 years ago when Saigon fell and uh, the images uh, were at the time etched into the uh, um, skin even of the paratroopers and special forces officers um, I met there, it's uh, difficult not to feel it again. That here again, um, regardless of the wisdom in the national interest calculations of the U.S. administration, the optics are terrible. Of course, they uh, uh, send a signal of uh, the Americans taking care of their own, leaving behind uh, people who relied on them and helped them. And, um, of course, what we saw over the last uh, several days was a desperate attempt by President Biden to send his CIA director, uh, William Burns, uh, to secret talks with uh, Abdulrani Baradar, the uh, de facto uh, leader of the Taliban. And incidentally, Burns was the one who also started the secret talks with Iran eight years ago when uh, President Obama sent him over. In Oman. In Oman. So the jury is still out. And perhaps even most of the evacuees are already out. But the image is going to have an impact on American public opinion, which is very crucial as President Biden heads into his second year in office, at the end of which there will be the midterm elections. And regional allies and partners will have to reassess their decisions regarding cooperation and collaboration with the United States. Indeed. Well, I'd like to ask Colonel 
Kemp uh, as the former commander of uh, the British forces in Afghanistan. When the Biden administration entered office, it uh, declaratively reassured its its uh, Western partners, its uh, partners and allies across the world uh, that, quote unquote, America is back. Uh, it's seeking multilateralism. It's seeking to engage the world together with its allies, together with its partners. But uh, the Afghanistan situation appeared to be quite to the contrary of that, uh, considering the fact that this was exclusively an American decision, and uh, all of its allies and partners were actually quite surprised by the prompt exit and the way and manner in which it was done. Well, this is, um, I would say, I mean, we heard how it's sort of reminiscent somewhat of Saigon in 1975. I would say this situation, it, without a doubt, it's the most, it's the worst, most catastrophic foreign policy and defense activity affecting the West, certainly that I can remember, and probably since at least the end of the Second World War. Um, it is a, it is pure, pure catastrophe. And I, I think that, you know, it was a unilateral decision by President Biden, not just to pull out, but to pull out with, without any conditions at all, and to blame his predecessor for uh, a decision he took many months ago, uh, which could have been reversed by Biden, and to do so without applying any conditions on the Taliban, any conditions at all. The Trump plan was rather different. I wouldn't say it was necessarily a, a, a good decision, but it, it at least had conditions attached to it. Um, and in doing so, he um, he basically committed all the other Western forces to leaving. They had no choice. They couldn't have stayed. And the reason they couldn't have stayed is because they are so weak. Um, you know, I think the British Defence Secretary, he said, he tells us anyway, that he attempted to form a coalition of NATO members, not including the US, to remain in Afghanistan when the US left. And not one single member state of NATO was interested in attempting to do that. And again, it's because of weakness throughout Western world. Um, and and it's, it's really, uh, to my mind, that one of the greatest catastrophes of this situation is it has totally exposed NATO for what it is. It is the United States of America. The other bits of it, to me, seem more like, and I, I served in NATO forces for almost my whole career um, in, the, in the British Army, and yet it looks like window dressing now, all of that, because what are they able to do? And even, the, you know, the, even in the current catastrophic situation whereby, um, you know, pre, uh, Prime Minister Johnson is very eager to stay in Afghanistan for longer than the 31st of August deadline that's been imposed, and President Biden is looking at getting out. We can't even, the British can't even, it appears, so they tell us, can't even secure a small airport in conditions like this. It's not a huge military task, but what for some, you know, we're one of the, Britain's one of the fifth, or at least one of the five most powerful military countries in the world. And we can't, I gather, even do that. So one does wonder what all of our defence budget has been spent on if we don't have that capability. I do think it's more down to political will than capability, in fact. Um, and I also don't believe really that Britain wants to stay in Afghanistan after President Biden um, decided to withdraw. I think they were quite relieved that the withdrawal was going to have to be taking place and that he, and that Britain could blame the United States of America for it. Whereas I think actually Britain has a, a significant share of the blame itself. 
I do. I just conclude by saying that I, what I'm saying is pretty um, unpleasant about NATO, about Britain, and about the U.S. Uh, and I think the British and American relationships are so critically important that I would hate to see them catastrophically damaged by this situation. Um, and particularly as the, the Britain is sort of slinging mud towards the U.S. in relation to this situation, I think that must be avoided. It must be. Um, the relationship must not be allowed to fall apart at all. And the same goes, I think, for NATO. NATO is such an important alliance that we need to do what we can now to, to salvage its reputation and reform NATO in a way that it is going to be effect properly effective in the future. Indeed. Uh, Mr. Sunday, you've also been to a tour to Afghanistan uh, in your military intelligence capacity, but also uh, have been observing uh, the trends of, of jihadist organizations throughout that uh, region, something that also Colonel Kemp has, of course, uh, done uh, leading that in the UK. But I, I'd like to uh, hear your opinion to the perception of those uh, organizations, of course, the Mujahideen or the Taliban, uh, who have uh, allied themselves with uh, Al-Qaeda and, and other uh, Salafist and Jihadist organizations over the years, uh, are not going to change their, the course of their action because somebody's asking them from the other side of the ocean who just left their country to treat women differently or to act differently with regard to its own faith. Uh, how do you see this actually impact or embolden the various organizations in the region from trying to potentially once again uh, carry out uh, various activities that would threaten uh, the Western uh, respective homelands of NATO member states as well as of its partners here in the region who are always to take the brunt uh, for the actions of the West when something like this occurs in the region? Well, it, it is, of course, a, a huge uh, holiday for and an, 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 an festival and how, how you want to new, uh, call it. But it's uh, the jihadi groups are really happy with everything that happened and they are, um, yeah, you hear it everywhere. Um, they're, 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 they're looking forward um, to use Afghanistan again. I know certain things have changed in Afghanistan, but uh, in general, if, if you look, uh, it seems that Ayman al-Zawahiri is back in Afghanistan. Uh, many al-Qaeda leaders are back in Afghanistan. Um, Mullah Baradar spoke in, um, in, 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 Duba, in Doha with the leaders of uh, of Hamas and basically offered them two training camps in Afghanistan and offered them to smuggle weapons from Afghanistan to them. Uh, we know that Hezbollah is active in the Hazara regions in, 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 Afghanistan, uh, in Afghanistan to help the Shiites there. Um, so it seems that, that, that all the powers that be in, in jihadi world are coming back together again. So we will be having a huge uh, increase of, of our threats in, 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 in Europe. Uh, that's something, uh, and, and not only Europe, um, uh, wherever, uh, where we can see and, and, and expect uh, new terror attacks soon. Indeed. Well, uh, this is quite alarming, Mr. Owen. Ayman al-Zawahiri, of course, uh, for the sake of our viewers, is uh, the, the successor of Osama bin Laden, uh, currently the incumbent leader of al-Qaeda. Uh, and just to make uh, context to how close his decision-making uh, impacts, not only the region uh, for Israel, but the entire Western world, uh, his number one ranked militant mastermind is Al-Julani, who has 
the Tahrir al-Sham, which is situated in the Idlib governorate northwest of uh, Syria, where currently the Assad regime uh, on the one hand and uh, the the Russians next to them, with, of course, to the north, uh, Turkey uh, being somewhat of a guarantor of that uh, region, trying to uh, dissuade those two sides from uh, going uh, all-out war that would then spill over millions into uh, Turkey soil, and then inevitably also into Western Europe, uh, and then have complete significant implications for the entire region. How do you see all of this um, going into uh, a situation where we're able to control it, or are we expecting now to see somewhat uh, an implosion and and just uh, deal with a new reality that has severe implications for each one of like-minded states in the West? So the Americans uh, would tell you, uh, we haven't uh, gone home. We are simply offshore. We have our aircraft carriers. We have our um, uh, Tomahawk uh, uh, carrying vessels. We have, of course, uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles, if we want uh, to use them. And if we can find uh, uh, Zawahiri, we are going to kill him, uh, whether he's in Afghanistan or elsewhere. Um, but that is not good enough, uh, a response. And the question is, was the plan faulty to begin with, or was the uh, uh, fault in execution? And obviously, of the three domains that uh, the U.S. authorities uh, should have looked into, they may have known something about two, about themselves and about the Taliban. And the Taliban, at the Doha talks, promised and uh, did not uh, renege on their promises not to shoot at Americans. And for the last year and a half, no American was killed. This was uh, uh, started by Trump and uh, went on under Biden. What the Americans could not see was the third part of the puzzle, and that is the Afghan National Security Forces, how quickly they are going to fold. This is not the first time, of course. The French army in 1940. Well, they didn't only fault uh, the the chief commander of those specific armed forces actually defected and joined the Taliban immediately the moment this whole ordeal started. Yes, but we have seen it. We have seen it uh, with uh, uh, the Iraqi army when Daesh started. We have seen it uh, in Gaza in 2007 when uh, Fatah instantly folded under the very first assault by Hamas, even though the uh, ratio of forces was in Fatah's favor. So one cannot really uh, quantify the forces. And one one of the lessons is that those who are making the assessment should be detached from those they advised and supported. Apparently, the Americans were so certain that their protégés, their students, the Afghanis will perform much as the U.S. Marines or the 82nd Airborne Division would. There was no basis for such an assessment, but they fell in love with their own assessment. And this is one of the reasons for what we have seen for the last couple of weeks. Colonel Kemp, the, clearly the situation is out of hand at this stage. Uh, the, the Western... Uh, image as a guarantor of stability in in certain quite volatile regions uh, has been severely damaged. But uh, 
Is there also uh, some optimism in this uh, whole ordeal, considering the fact that at a time when dialogue was uh, under the auspices of the United States and NATO member states, uh, for that matter, was taking place between the Taliban and, and the Afghan government in Doha, things occurred on the ground and, and activities happened on the ground, which indicated something completely different, yet uh, the United States and, and uh, NATO decided to ignore those in order to give talks a chance. Are we now expected to see a, a change in attitude where uh, realizing that the Middle East, it's not what they say, it is what they do that defines their intent and, and rationale? Yeah, I mean, I think... Um if I understand your question correctly, I would say that um, this, this situation we're at now has resulted in, has stemmed from rather, uh, a gross um, misunderstanding, a, a failure of intelligence in effect, failure of intelligence both in relation to the Taliban's capability. Um, and, and the Taliban were strategically very clever in, in the way that they uh, captured the, the majority of Afghanistan. Um, and also the um, and, and that wasn't really understood. And also the uh, the capability of the Afghan national security forces, as was pointed out, partly due to to inflation of their capabilities by those people who were training them, and and and, and a, a failure to to question those assessments. So it's led to a real catastrophe. And I think in in terms of what we can expect from the Taliban um, in the future. We can't expect them. We can't expect that they're going to be suddenly fallen in love with human rights, women's rights. They'll exclude Al Qaeda and other jihadist groups from the country. We've already heard just a short while ago how that's actually the reverse of that is happening. We've also we also know that the um, that the the uh, the Taliban in different cities, including in Kabul, have been going to door to door looking for their targets, which include, of course, people who work for us, work for the government, and worked in human rights and many others. So we're not. We can't expect to see a reformed Taliban. I'm afraid. I simply don't believe it. I don't believe a word they say, and I don't believe that any deal that was or might have been struck with the Taliban in Doha or anywhere else would be worth the paper it's printed on. I think it's purely self-deluding, and I don't believe really either that that many of the officials in, or indeed the political leaders in our governments, really believed it either. They were looking for a way out. They wanted out. Great, if they can get out and put some kind of a cover of a, an agreement or a reformed Taliban, a, a, you know, a changed Taliban uh, uh, over, over their heads to, to avoid the accusation of cutting and running uh, in a situation that they hadn't resolved. I think, yeah, they, they, were, they were happy to do that. And, and the reality is not, as you know, it's not a question of this is a long war. It's been going on too long. It's been going on for decades and decades. The reason we went in there has not been resolved, and therefore the threat remains. And again, we've heard how that threat from jihadists in Afghanistan is almost certainly going to increase beyond what it was like in 2021. Certainly, that's my view. Um, so, you know, the the, the 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 problem wasn't resolved. If it took a hundred years and it wasn't resolved, we still have to fight it because this is a, in my view, this is an existential battle for the West that has to be fought because we are going to be in their crosshairs. The reason we went in there into Afghanistan was not to um, bolster women's rights or democracy or turn uh, Afghanistan into the county of Surrey in England. It was to prevent it from becoming a safe haven again after the Taliban and Al-Qaeda had been removed. And that is now the situation. It's, you know, what, what Al-Qaeda wanted back in 2001 when it 
blew up the Twin Towers and the Pentagon, what it wanted was exactly what's happening now. It wanted America to get into Afghanistan and it wanted then to defeat Af uh, the Americans there and it wanted to humiliate America in the world. And OK, it took 20 years longer than they'd hoped for, but that's exactly what's happening. Well, Mr. Sunday, uh, there is still one NATO member that will remain in Afghanistan uh, alongside China, uh, talking, of course, about Turkey. Uh, the Taliban already announced with its spokesperson that uh, Turkey and China will be the countries that will assist it directly uh, in rehabilitating the country, of course, having Pakistan as their patrons and uh, the assistance of uh, Moscow on, on other angles there, uh, if we're bringing geopolitics into the picture and uh, narrowing it down now to uh, the repercussions thereof. Are we going to expect now a certain influx of um, jihadists that will seek to make their way to the West, or uh, is there going to be some sort of uh, a mechanism at least to identify those and then deal with them uh, at the root cause of the problem, considering the fact that they withdrew from the area uh, which has been constituted as such. Uh, what what I think in the in, in in the coming period that happens is that if if we see that Turkey is how Turkey is working in uh, closely with with uh, with Al Qaeda and and its its minions in uh, in in Syria, um, I think Turkey might be um, not that much of a real NATO member anymore. Uh, we, we have seen Turkey going alone. We see Turkey joining with Qatar in, uh, in, in, in Northern Africa uh, and the Middle East, doing things that are uh, very opposed to, to what generally you think a NATO member would do. Um, I find, although they, 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 they keep it quiet, more or less, in, in, in Syria, they are uh using uh, jihadis from Syria to do their bidding in in Libya uh we see Turkey now going into Yemen um i don't know what turkey will be doing actually i don't know if i would still trust them as being being a real nato member um i have my serious doubts about turkey but um, I don't know what we will see in, in Afghanistan because things have changed. We have more capabilities still intelligence-wise. Uh, we know where to look in Afghanistan. Uh, Western countries have gotten a, a very good understanding of, uh, of, um, of Afghanistan. So uh, we will be monitoring way better than we did uh, in, in 2000 and 1998 in that, in, in that time frame. But we can expect to see... Um, that definitely groups will, will, will try to start again, but it, it's not only up to the Taliban how far they go, but it's also what do the Pakistanis want? I think in, in this whole discussion about Afghanistan, we never talked about uh, the, the, the Pakistani hand in all this, because that hasn't changed since the 1990s. That's still the same, and the Pakistanis are still uh, keeping Afghanistan boiling at the right temperature so they can use jihadi groups to train for uh, Kashmir, for uh, countering uh, India. So uh, geopolitically, we see um, that we should basically empty pressure on the, on, the, on, on the Pakistanis as well. Indeed. Well, uh, Mr. Owen, let's bring everything to our theater here in Jerusalem, Israel. What does all of this mean for Israel? Should we be alarmed about potentially seeing 
uh, more increase of threats in the near future, uh, or are we going to fo focus primarily on intelligence gathering and then intelligence sharing with our partners and allies around the world? Well, on one level, and one level only, Afghanistan is the Switzerland of Asia. It's landlocked. On all other levels, of course, it's a source of uh, threats and problems and headaches. Israel doesn't have enough intelligence resources or attention to uh, uh, deviate from what it is doing in its immediate vicinity or against its uh, most uh, threatening targets, such as Iran, to allocate resources to uh, Afghanistan. It will have to rely on the US uh, and others. But yes, uh, if we uh, thought that uh, the Americans are leaving the Middle East, pivoting uh, towards uh, the other side of Asia, they had it very neatly arranged. China, Russia are the only threats. Now we may see some crisis in Taiwan. We may see North Korea raising its head. Iran is still here, and the Americans will not have enough power to go around. So if Israel is faced with some local or regional problem, it may have to fend for itself. Indeed. Well, we have about 40 seconds left for today's program, and I'd like still to ask you, Colonel Kemp, amid all of this disarray, is there any glimpse of hope or glimpse of optimism to be seen in uh, the situation with regard to Afghanistan and, and the, the hit that the West has taken in light of this American retreat slash disengagement, if you will? There is, to my, from my perspective, I'm afraid to say there is no optimism. The terrorist threat from Afghanistan is going to be much greater than it was before, probably even before 9-11 despite the fact that maybe we do have a greater intelligence capability. I think without forces on the ground and intelligence services and any significant number on the ground, I think it's not going to, uh, it's not going to, um, we're not going to be able to cover it adequately. Mm -hmm. I think it's catastrophic for the whole of the world because uh, China and Russia will be emboldened by the weakness of the West and those people who we'd hope to entice into our sphere of influence will not be interested in coming and joining people who are looked at upon as, as, as fair-weather friends and not reliable in a crisis. Indeed. Well, uh, this is all the time that we have for today, and we'll keep uh, observing this area of the world as well uh, and the implications uh, both for the Middle East but also for the West large. Uh, I'd like to thank Colonel Kemp, uh, Mr. Sunday, and Mr. Olin for being part of today's panel. And I'd like to thank our viewers as well, and we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.